Well, good morning and happy Sabbath, church. We have really been blessed thus far, amen? What a great blessing. Thank you for that great music. Thank you also for your prayers. Some of you specifically told me when you came in that you prayed for me last week. Some had heard I was sick. Um, I wasn't sick, but I'd been on, let's see, six airplanes and in four airports um, going to California and back. It's not, I flew out of Kalamazoo, so of course you're going to have multiple connections. Anyway, I was fine, but I thought I'd better give you at least one more week without me and all my <laughs> travelings just to make sure that uh, I was fine. But thank you so much for your prayers. It was, would have been two or three weeks prior to that <clears throat> that I was in Virginia at Mark Finley's new retreat, and we studied there the three angels' messages. And as I was there, I thought, this is something that we need to hear in our church again. And so that was kind of the background for this series. The only reason I could get this series in was because Tony Moore wasn't able to come. His material isn't finished yet, but he will come in January or February. So be looking forward for that. I was asked to say a few things about health and things that you can take. Someone suggested I do that again. <clears throat> You've heard of NAC. How many of you have heard of NAC, N-acetylene cysteine? <clears throat> so this is something you can take. It's quite cheap. Um, and reduces, it may not keep you from getting a virus or a flu, <clears throat> but if you get it, you'll be 75% less likely to have any symptoms or any serious symptoms. So it's a great product. It's quite inexpensive. Obviously, there's the other things that you probably know about, vitamin D. How many of you are taking vitamin D? Raise your hands. Okay, that makes me happy. <laughs> uh, because you need to take vitamin D. The darker your complexion, the more vitamin D you need. So if you're not taking vitamin D, come see me after church because I, a, a local doctor, well, he's not so local, Detroit area, gave us 100 bottles of vitamin D. Now, we want to do something in the community with that, but uh, we definitely want you to be healthy also. So come and see me, although I don't have them here, but uh, we'll get you one. Vitamin D is super important, especially in the winter, but all year round, and most everybody is low. So um, could you hurt yourself with vitamin D? You could if you took enough. It would be hard, but you could do it. Um, you'd probably have to take 60,000 IUs every day for six months, but it's possible you could. So obviously, disclaimer, see your physician and your healthcare professionals. So vitamin D is a key one. Vitamin C, right? Vitamin C is water-soluble, so every day you need to be taking vitamin C. Your vitamin C from yesterday isn't going to help you today. Um, so keep that in mind. Vitamin C and quercetin work together. Quercetin works together to open up the cells for the bioavailability of vitamin C and zinc. So quercetin um, and you can find that on either Neil Nedley's site or Wes Youngberg, Dr. Wes Youngberg. <clears throat> Both of them talk about it. 
So if you just do that for now, I'll give you some more next week, but that will help immensely. If your vitamin D levels, a man just spoke at the Amen Conference physician and said, if our vitamin D levels are up where they need to be, the chances of us having serious symptoms from COVID are very slim. So that was pretty impressive. And he was talking just about vitamin D. Obviously, there are other factors. So there's a few tips for you. I hope you'll... uh, Take those and use those um, for God's glory because he's given us a health message for a reason. Obviously, the eight natural remedies, nutrition, exercise, water, sunshine, temperance, fresh air. Great time to air out your house, right? It's warm. Open your windows, rest, and of course, trust in God. All right, that's my health nugget for this morning. Let us pray. Father, If we ever needed a word from you, we sure do need it now. Lord, there's an intensity taking possession of everything on this planet. Except sometimes we wonder about our very own church. So please, Lord, this morning, take us to the divine center of our message for these last days. Please make this message clear to our minds, captivating to our hearts, and convicting to our spirits, compelling us to tell the good news to others while we have time left on this planet. In Jesus' name and for his sake, we pray. Amen. Well, you can turn to Revelation 14, 6 if you're not there already. Jacob, thank you for reading that scripture for us this morning. That is where we're going. There is something in the Jewish religion that serves as the centerpiece for their morning and evening prayer service. It is for them a truth around which all others cluster. It is, of course, Deuteronomy 6, four and five, and it is known as the Shema. It was to be written on the heart of the people of Israel. They would sew it into their garments. They would wear it as a scripture band around their wrists. They would put it on their turbans. They were told in that very passage to teach this diligently to their children. When they were on a walk, when they were sitting, in the house when they were lying down or rising up, they were to repeat this beautiful passage of scripture one to another. It's a short passage, it says here, that's where the the word Shema, we get the word here from that. It means more than just listen though, it means listen with the intent to obey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. This scripture was present truth for their day. But now here we are in the last days of earth's history. I don't think anybody would argue with that at this point. And so here in the last days of earth's history has God given us a message to take to the world. Has he? He has. 
Is there a message we should be memorizing and putting in our heart a central point of emphasis that encompasses the last message of mercy and warning for a world desperately in need of some good news? Well, of course, there is, and you've already turned to it. It's Revelation 14, 6 through 12, the three angels' messages. And so we'll look at that this morning. Jesus welcomes you, and we welcome you. So thank you, Mark Finley, for that introduction. Thank you, Jerry Finneman, for the next two slides. So I've been gleaning from some of my elders here. The book of Revelation is a book of grace from beginning to end. We see that here. Revelation 1, 4, the first part. John to the seven churches in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who was and is and is to come. And then in the very end of the book, he who testifies these things says, surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace, there it is again, of our Lord Jesus Christ, it says, be with you, really means is with you, all, amen. And so grace is at the beginning and at the end and all the way through the book of Revelation. Is it about beasts and scary things? Those imageries are in there but it's really about God's grace primarily. You see the bookends of grace and then the three historical events, the churches, the seals, the trumpets. Then on the other end, you've got the new earth, the millennium, and the bowls. But right in the center is this three angels' messages given to us. Nobody else is preaching this. And we certainly should be, because the Lord's given it to us in a special, special way. What's the three angels' messages? I was going to have you read it with me again, but I'm not going to do that because in my prayer and practice last night, I ran a bit over. And so we won't uh, read it in its entirety again. But you're there, so let's look at it. 14 and verse 6, and I saw another, what does it say? Angel, right? Angel or messenger flying in mid-heaven. He's not gliding, right? I mean, he's moving with alacrity. He's moving fast. He's flying. And so this messenger, I believe, is none other than you and you and me. Amen? We are the messengers, It says angels, but these are messengers, and I believe it is you and me. Messengers flying in the midst of heaven. Lord, give us the energy to fly for you. And they have something. What do they have? Thank you. The everlasting gospel. Ah, I could do three sermons at least just on the everlasting gospel. Could probably do a whole quarter, but... Got to do it in one because I only have three sermons to do the three angels' messages. So we'll look at a few texts on this, and there are so, so many. Angel flying in mid heaven, having 
the everlasting gospel. How is it that it is an everlasting gospel? Do you think sin took God by surprise? Did not, right? And so from the foundation of the earth, this everlasting gospel came into place. The the Father and the Son, from the beginning, from the foundation of the world, had the plan in place. If sin would happen, they had a plan to take care of it. And this gospel is to go to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And when it does, what does Matthew 24, 14 tell us will happen? And then the end shall come. And then the end shall come. So this gospel must go. We are belting the globe with the gospel now as a Seventh-day Adventist church. I love that little pamphlet, which I don't have with me today, that is from the American Track Society. It's kind of a yellowish. And on one axis, it has all the churches alphabetically across the one axis. And then going down, it has all the countries going down. And if you look at Adventist Seventh Day, you'll see dot, 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 dot. We're in nearly every country. So the gospel is going forward. And soon, the end will come. But this everlasting gospel, let's take a look at this for the few moments that we have this morning. As soon as there was sin, there was a savior. Christ stepped between the living and the dead and said, let the punishment fall on me. That's how Adam and Eve survived, because Christ stepped between the living and the dead. They should surely have died. And you can say, oh, well, they began to die. No, no, no. They should have died right then. But Christ stepped between the living and the dead and said, let the punishment fall on me. That's from Genesis. But it's spoken of in Revelation also. And all the dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, of course the Lamb is the key person or imagery of the key person in the whole book of Revelation. Jesus, our slain Lamb, slain from when? The foundation of the world. Now how was he slain from the foundation of the world? Well, in promise, he was, right? The plan was there, and if God promises something, it's as good as done. And so in that sense, he was slain from the foundation of the world Dealing with the sin problem was not an afterthought. Ephesians tells us also, according as he has chosen us in him, that is in Christ, and from when? Before the foundation of the world, you were chosen. He had you in mind. Young people and not so young people will do anything seemingly to be accepted on this earth. But Christ says you are accepted in the beloved. You've already been accepted by the highest monarch in the universe, the only monarch. Why worry about the acceptance of others? Obviously, don't be rude or untactful, but we've been accepted by Christ. It says it there in Ephesians. Also, Titus puts it this way. Paul, a servant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness in hope 
of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised since when? Before the foundation of the world, before the world began, it says here, but has in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God, my God and Savior, Paul said. All right, well, the everlasting gospel. So it's from the beginning all the way to the end. And the true gospel deals with the entire sin problem from beginning to end, past, present, and future. Any gospel that doesn't deal with all three elements is not the gospel. And Paul says something interesting. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now that's put in the negative, right? We know not only was he not ashamed, I mean, he gloried in the gospel. He gloried in the cross of Christ. But in Romans 1, 16 and 17, he says, I am not ashamed. And there are those that will not enjoy the gospel. The gospel will actually cause offense to some. And you say, well, how could such good news cause offense? Well, I'm gonna show you a couple of ways. But I have a quote here. Martin Luther said this, the gospel of Christ cannot be preached without offense. Interesting. He certainly ran into that, did he not? In a big way. <clears throat> but the true gospel deals with redemption, past, present, and future. I'll show you in one scripture this concept of the past, present, and future. It's in regard to deliverance. You could say deliverance. You could say redemption. You could say salvation. You could say atonement. Any one of those motifs are huge, but they all have this dynamic of sort of the perfect tense in the Greek, the past, the present, and the future. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'll show you one scripture there that has it all in one verse. And it is showing us in regards to deliverance. Now, my slide says redemption. Like I said, any of these uh, terms you could use, atonement. The atonement has been made, but has the atonement finished? No, no, the atonement's going on now. But even now, it's not finished until it's finished when Christ comes. So there's three aspects to it. Same with redemption. The Bible and Ellen White are both clear that Christ has redeemed the human race. Does that mean everybody will be saved? No, because not all are partaking of that redemption. And of course, the full redemption doesn't come until we're with him face to face. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 10. I'm going to start with verse 9, actually. So this puts it all in one verse, and you see the three tenses in regard to deliverance. Verse 9, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves. That is so crucial to the gospel. And that is what the offense is. Any gospel that says, yeah, you know, you can make it by yourself. I mean, you need a little bit of Christ's help, but it's mainly on you. That is not an offense to people. People love that gospel because we love to think we can do it. Oh, Lord help us. Verse nine, but we have, but we had this sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raises the dead. Verse 10, who 
has delivered us from so great a death, that's past tense, has delivered us, and doth deliver, or is delivering, present tense, in whom we trust that he, what? Will deliver. So you see it all in one verse there in Corinthians. The true gospel deals with the sin problem in its entirety. Redemption, atonement, salvation, past, present, and future. The past, sins, guilt, and penalty has been paid. On him, on Christ, was laid the iniquity of how many? Isaiah 53 tells us. Us all! The whole human race, the guilt of the whole human race was laid upon Christ. And he bore it, and he won the victory completely. Sin's guilt has been laid on our Savior. The penalty has been paid. It's a past thing. It was done outside of you. If you are going to be saved, if I'm going to be saved, something outside is going to have to come on in to us. Amen? That's the only way it's going to work. If you think you're going to work up something inside of you, you're not going to make it. You can't get there from here. Something extra knows, something outside of us, that's justification, has to come. We have to see something. We have to intellectually uh, see it and appreciate it. We have to, with our hearts, embrace it. And we have to confess that we're strangers and pilgrims on this earth. Hebrews 11.13, I don't think we'll get to that verse today. Because the faith response is crucial, but that will come probably next week. But past, God has done something in the past for the whole human race. That's what the whole plan of salvation stands upon. That's, that's the basis of it, right? But now, if you only have that, and if you never have faith in that, if you never appreciate that, if justification and faith never meet, do you have salvation personally? No, you do not, right? You have to see what God has done in his amazing love and appreciate it by faith and believe. Then you have the real article and God will take you on the road of sanctification from there. So the past, that is justification in and of itself, the present. So God has taken care of the guilt and you say, well, a lot of people are suffering under the guilt of their sins. You're right, because they don't know the gospel. That's why you can tell them. Look, your guilt has already been dealt with. My, my guilt has already been... Yes, your guilt has already been dealt with by Jesus on the cross. Come on and say amen if that's good news. It's already been dealt with. If you will believe it, if you will accept it, if you will receive it, then he'll do it in you, right? When he did that on the cross, that didn't give you the power in your life. That's the present. That's justification by faith. When justification and faith meet each other, there's a, there's a powerful thing that happens. And that is the beginning of the road to sanctification. That's justification by faith. That's what happens in the present for the believer. But there's something coming in the future. Because the problem with sin, sin is not just a choice. It's what we are. And so the very pollution of sin must be dealt with. We've all been polluted with it. The whole world's been polluted with it. Our nature pulls us towards the evil, but not forever, amen? God will deal with that also, and that's glorification. 
The very presence and pollution of sin will be done away with. Ah, a complete gospel that God has given to us. I'll take you to a few texts, and I have a ton of statements here for you. Go to Romans 1, 16 and 17. We'll start there. And I just blew up, I think. I'm not sure what happened. <laughs> Try not to do that again, whatever that was. All right, Romans 1, 16 and 17. For Paul says, we had this problem a couple weeks ago with this. All right. That's what we were talking about before, where Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Not only was he not ashamed, we'll look in Timothy where it says, This is why I labor. This is why I work 16 hour days and work my fingers to the bone. This is why I will die for the gospel. That's what he says in Timothy. Here it says he's not ashamed, but it's a little more than that. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is, it doesn't have, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, for in it, is whose righteousness? God's righteousness. That's the righteousness we must have because we have none of our own. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Now that could be from his faithfulness to our faith response or faith upon faith upon faith. It's revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live how? By faith or by faith the just shall live. Maybe better put. And so Paul would not be ashamed of the gospel. The gospel, as I said before, is not offensive if you deal with just one or, or two parts of this. It's not offensive. To tell somebody, yes, Christ was your example. Now you can do it. Just follow him in his tracks. That's not offensive. We love that. Because we can do it. Except we can't do it. <laughs> Once we get down the road, we're like... <laughs> Wait a minute, this isn't working. So many of our young people have found the gospel seemingly isn't working, but it's not because they haven't understood the gospel. And you won't get it in every Adventist church. I hate to say that, but it's the truth. So if you just deal with that aspect, everybody's happy. If you just deal with the guilt aspect too, the, you know, hey, all your guilt's gone, your penalty's paid, you can live as you like. That's not going to cause anybody to be unhappy with you, right? But put it all together. Put it all together, and it's going to cause offense to some who won't humble themselves and realize they cannot do this. Cannot do it. Paul summarized the gospel in Romans 1, verses 1 through 4. We'll go there, and then I've got to get to these statements. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and separated unto the gospel of God, which he's promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This isn't something brand new Paul made up. No way. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You could say Christ is the gospel. 
Concerning Jesus Christ, his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh. So he was made something he wasn't. He took something he was not. And that is, he took the seed of David, the seed of Abraham. It goes all the way back to Adam, right? He became flesh. He became us. He was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared. All they could do is declare the second part. He, the other, he had to be made, but they could only declare him to be the son of God because that's what he was. But he took the other, declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name's sake. And that's so key. It's for his name's sake. We have received grace from God. And so it's about Christ. It's about his life, his perfect life he lived, his death that he died, his resurrection, and now he's our high priest. And as high priest, he knows exactly how you feel. He's gone through it. He's gone through your temptations. He's felt your guilt. It was your guilt that was crushing out his life. Oh, what a Savior. What a God we have. One who not only feels our infirmities, Hebrews tells us, but is touched. That is, his heart goes out in sympathy to you in your struggles. And he picks you up and carries you sometimes. And so thus is the gospel found so many other places. John 3.16, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? We are not saved by works, but by grace through faith, which is wholly a gift, the gift of God. Both of those are actually gifts. All right, so I got to get to some of these statements. Especially do I love this one from this little book called Faith and Works. I have several. There is not a point that needs to be dwelt on more earnestly, repeated more frequently, or established more firmly. Now, with that kind of an intro, you're like, dude, what is, what is this? I mean, this is going to be something pretty important. Or established more firmly in the minds of all than the impossibility a fallen man, that's you and me, meriting anything by his own best good works. Salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Come on and say amen if that's good news. You can't get there from here. You can't work it up. It's not going to happen. The gospel is going to seem like it doesn't work for you if you try it any other way. No point needs to be dwelt upon more earnestly, repeated more frequently, or established more firmly in your mind than the impossibility of your very best day. You're like, oh, I, yesterday I was really good, Pastor. I, I mean, I, I, I knocked it out of the park yesterday. Doesn't matter. It's not gonna get you there. Only his righteousness will do it. The bar is way too high. Unless, of course, you trust in Christ and then the bar doesn't come down, but his righteousness gets you there. 
Let the subject be made plain and distinct that it is not possible to effect anything in our standing before God or in the gift of God to us through creature merit or through our works. Now you say, well, yeah, but surely my faith, doesn't my faith count for half of it? No, it doesn't. Should faith and works purchase the gift of salvation for anyone, then the creator is under obligation to the creature. You owe me, God. Didn't you see that tithe check? I mean, didn't you see those? Go- I was handing out food at the giveaway. That, surely that counts. <laughs> Only if it was by faith and the faith he gave you. The creator is under obligation. You, you have to save me, Lord. I mean, look at all the stuff I've done. Oh, that's not the gospel, friends. We, he is not under obligation to us. We have every obligation to him. If any man can merit salvation by anything he can do, then he is in the same position as the Catholic to do penance for his sins. All right, how much is this going to cost me? You need some more? <laughs> you think that's going to work? It's not going to work. It must be by grace through faith, amen? amen? Penance won't get it done. Salvation then, at least in this case, would be partly of debt that may be earned as wages. Oh, I earned my mansion in heaven. <laughs> oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> if man... Cannot Now, on the other hand, if man cannot by any of his good works, his good works, merit salvation, then it must be given to us how? Holy of grace. That is the gospel. It's holy of grace, and it changes you from the inside out. That's the faith response, and that is what we will not get to today. But we will next week, so you'll have to come back next week. Going on here, it must be holy of grace, received by man as a sinner because he receives and believes in Jesus. Pretty simple, right? It's pretty simple in some ways. It is wholly a free gift. That's the gospel. Does that offend you today? I hope not. But if it does, I'm sorry, but I have to preach it anyway. Justification by faith is placed beyond controversy. No controversy to it. As soon as the matter is settled that the merits of fallen man in his, again, in his good works, in your best day, can never procure eternal life for him. You must turn to Christ, amen? This world is telling us that there is nothing that we can trust. We can't trust the elections. We know that, right? We're not sure about the medical association either. (laughs) But there's something out there we can trust, amen? Jesus Christ, our Savior. We can't trust in our own works. That'll never get it done. If you've got any iota that that's what's gonna get you there, please get that thought out of your mind because it won't get you there. 
few texts from Scripture. We've got to roll through these. For therefore, this is the one I was talking about in 1 Timothy, where he says, For therefore we both labor. This is why we work our fingers to the bone and suffer reproach. Call me what you like. Because, why? Because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, and especially those that believe. So there's a sense in which God saved the entire human race, but then there's another sense in which he saves the believer. That's where faith comes in, and that's where we want to be. Going on. 1 John 2, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's with the Father. That is wonderful, but look at verse 2. And he is the propitiation, the mercy seat, the covering for our sins, but not for ours only. But who else? For the sins of the whole world, if the whole world only knew it. If your neighbors only knew it, if your coworkers only knew it. Christ took their guilt in full. He's paid the penalty for them on Calvary. Who wouldn't want to serve a God like that? We are to just humble ourselves and receive like a little child. If man cannot, this is a repeat, by any of his own good works merit salvation, then it must be holy of grace. Received by man as a sinner because he receives and believes in Jesus. It is wholly a free gift. Justification by faith is placed beyond controversy. But here's the problem. Here's the offense of the cross. The proud heart strives to earn salvation. We want to at least, you know, okay, you do 90%, I'll do 10. I'll be okay with that, Lord. And then what does the Lord say? No. It's got to be 100% my righteousness. You have to receive it. You have to believe it. But it's got to be 100% mine. That's the only righteousness that works. The proud heart strives to earn salvation, but both our title to heaven and our fitness. So our title to heaven and our fitness for heaven are found where? In the righteousness of God or Christ. The Lord can do nothing toward the recovery of man until, until what, Lord? Until convinced of his own weakness. That's why Paul spends the greater part of three chapters in the early part of the book of Romans telling us that all have sinned. You have no chance. All have come short of the glory of God. He wants every mouth to be stopped as to their own righteousness. The Lord can do nothing toward the recovery of man until convinced of his own weakness and stripped of all self-sufficiency. He yields to the control of God. That's where we need to be. Then, ah, then things can happen, right? Then he can receive the gift that God is waiting to bestow from the soul that feels his need. Oh, so crucial. How much is withheld? Nothing. Now what it says? Look at the red, the yellow letters here. From the soul that feels his need, nothing is withheld. He has unrestricted access to him in whom all fullness dwells. How many of you would like to have unrestricted access to all that God is? 
in your life. That's what it says, right? That's what it says from the soul that feels his need. Nothing, nothing is withheld. Oh, the faith response. I wish I could tell you about the faith response, but I can't do it this week. <laughs> so I have to come back next week. But there in 2 Corinthians, it talks about that the love of Christ compels us. It motivates us. It's like, it's like something's pushing me in my back. What's going on here? That's the gospel. That's the love of God motivating you forward because we thus judge that one died for all. That is, Christ died for all, and all died in him. And so then we're motivated to be his servants, to do his will, to take his gospel to the world. When we understand it, when we see it, when we intellectually accept it, when we embrace it with our hearts, then we, like the great hall of faith in Hebrews 11, will be willing to confess, as they, that we are pilgrims and strangers on this earth. Let's pray. Oh, Father, your gospel, good news, is amazing. What you've done for every soul in this church and every soul on the planet is beyond comparison. God, in Christ, you came down and risked the universe for any one of us. You did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, Jesus, something to be held onto. You were willing to give it up for us, for us, that we might have the righteousness of God. On you was laid the iniquity of us all. All of us have gone astray like sheep but on you has been laid the iniquity of us all. Lord, you've taken all of it upon yourself. And now you want to give us that gift of righteousness that we might experience the freedom from guilt of sin and that we might experience the power of the gospel in our lives to keep us from sin. And oh Lord, that someday very soon, the very pollution and presence of sin will be gone forever. Keep us in your hand until that day. And thank you for the gospel. Help us to be emissaries, to be ambassadors for you this week. Give us divine appointments. and Put a word in our mouth for anyone who asks for the hope that is within us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.